Hello, everybody. This is George Harrison wishing you all a happy Christmas, happy New Year. Drive safely. Welcome to this week's Wednesday with Fab. I'm Ed Chen. I'm John Stone. I'm Lonnie Pena. And I'm Martin Quibell. Yes, indeed. We have the Gab Four together again for the first show of 2024 as we look back at 2023. So we're going to get back. No, no, no. That was several years ago. You're right. That was in 2022, right? Uh, 2021. Or 2021. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. That's, cr- that's wow. crazy. That is crazy. Yeah. Time goes by, as we all know, naturally. <laughs> We're coming off of the revolver box at this point, which came out in late 2022, and we're going into Part of 2023 was actually to be a pretty quiet thing for the Beatles, although we actually kind of know why, because what we've since learned is that they had kind of cleared the table for the release of Now and Then, and then they decided, oh, we'll push that off for a while. Yeah, that was held up a bit. When we did finally get it, they were saying, oh, yeah, well, we, we were actually really looking to have it out in January or February, and then, oh, we're going to have it out in the summer when Paul would tell us about it, and then we'll have it out in August. So in September, they actually even ran the special media showings for some of our lucky SOB friends. Yes. <laughs> yeah, it was pretty quiet all the way up until halfway through the year. Were, really yeah. quiet. Were these all Apple decisions? Uh, it's Apple or you and me or somebody. We still don't know exactly why it happened. What, what we do know is that they were talking about it. So at the end of January, we would get the Tony King book, The Tastemaker, which I have actually finally been able to get into. It's a really fun book. Tony King was part of Air Studios. He was involved in the Apple organization. He was a PA to John Lennon and Ringo Starr for a time in the 70s. And then he would be heavily involved with Elton John. Yeah, wow. didn't, he, didn't he appear on uh, John Lennon's music video? 
it's not a music video. It's uh, well, what was it? Uh, it was promos they did for Mind Games. Oh, that's right. He was in drag, right? Yeah. Well, exactly. <laughs> uh, what, what we know. Ladies and gentlemen, Her Royal Highness the Queen. Good evening. <laughs> I've been asked to do this commercial. It relates to a gramophone record <laughs> called Mind Games by John Lennon. So keep on playing those mind games together. I thought it was Michael Palin. Well, you know, that was the rumor for a while. For a while, everybody was like, that's Michael Palin. Hmm. And it, it does look at least a bit like Michael Palin. It does. Yeah, particularly given the quality of video we would have had at that time, the third or fourth generation VHS tape. <laughs> right. But it was, in fact, Tony King then. Right? It was, in fact, Tony King. And Elton is actually there taking pictures of it. I'm guessing that Michael Palin was too busy chopping down trees and wearing his uh, wife's uh, clothes. <laughs> yeah, probably, yes. So so Tony King tells that entire story, and he tells a number of other stories about his time with John Lennon. Uh, he, he talks a lot about the infamous Thanksgiving night when John would go up with Elton, and he talks about the trip to Las Vegas that he and John and May Pang took. Interestingly enough, May Pang did not tell us that Tony King was also there with them. Best kept secret. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> now, why, why the tastemaker? What, what's the significant title, significance of that title? He was, early in his career, considered the tastemaker. He worked for the record labels. He was a, a promotions guy. So he went from there to the Stones, to Air Studios, to Apple. At least he had decent taste. Mm. Yes. So between 1962 and 1970, he had a lot of jobs, and he was apparently one who could pick hit records. He told them what to release, and he told them how to release them. Oh, this should be the third track on the EP. Okay. Basically, he overlapped with May Pang. Uh, although he also knows Yoko real well, and uh, unlike May Pang, says that, oh yeah, I always knew John and Yoko were going to get back together. <laughs> Everyone knew except for... Uh, Everyone knew except for May. So. May. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so we move on from there into February. Now, we're going to have a lot of people who passed. We're going to give everybody at least a little description and a little bit of do, which is sad, but... As John Stone noted before we started here, we're getting to that point in time. Everybody's going to start going. So in February, uh, Royston Ellis passed. Royston Ellis was really a significant figure in the early, early Beatles. When Stu joined the band, Royston Ellis was the one who came out and hung out with the Beatles. Was that in Liverpool? That was in Liverpool, in the Gambier Terrace flat. And he actually hired the Silver Beatles to come and play behind him while he read beat poetry. Oh, okay. Interesting. Not as good a gig as Janice the Stripper, but... I wonder if they the same songs. For their future life, he would be the one who would introduce them to amphetamines. At the time, cold medicine had a strip of benzedrine inside of the inhaler. I would say that was an influence. He showed them how to take apart the inhalers, how to pull out the strip of benzedrine and put it under their tongues and 
get a high. <laughs> wow. He would hang around later and he would be the one who would be hanging out with John Lennon when they went to the party, which would become the lyrics of Polythene Pam. That's right. I wonder whether he thought, you know, at, at the end of my life, I'm going to be remembered for the Benzedrine I turned the Beatles on to. <laughs> he has his own legacy as a beat poet. We just he's not exactly it. just known for that, but amongst us, he's certainly known for that. Right. I don't know any of his poetry, actually. Well, I mean, none of us are really into beat poetry, are we? Particularly British beat poetry. Martin might be the closest, but Martin, you don't read any of that. Bits and pieces here and there, but yeah, not that au fait with it. Yeah. Well, was he famous locally in England? Famous-ish. Okay. I mean, you know, he was, he was certainly known amongst the... Intelligentsia. I guess that category. He would go around to college campuses and he would do his performances. So I mean, people knew of him. I think the people who would really know of him more than John or Stu would be someone like Mike McCartney. Okay. Right. Does he have uh, vinyl releases? I mean, I don't think so. Spoken word. Not, not category. that I know of. I mean, that was kind of before that. Breaking for the exit of the sweating mothered cellar. Breaking off the fanship of the writhing nights of going. Hating all the throbbing and the skipping blues of sadness. Defeated by Cat's jazzitude. Rocked by his soul. Perplexed by his query. And hurt by his hops. Losing all his coolness. Fleeing from his haven. Searching for an answer. He rolls to the end. Moving on in February, we got the entire Dark Horse catalog on Apple Music. Yeah, yeah especially All Things Must Pass and Atmos. George Harrison would also yeah. return to the Dark Horse label, and they would remix pretty much everything into Atmos yeah. and stream it for us. Wow. I'm happy to see that you can get the Splinter album again. That's probably yeah. the big one that it's really great that we have back in an easily obtainable format. You know, the first time I heard it, it was the pre-concert music during George's 74 tour. And, you know, being everybody's filing in and there's lots of talking, I could just kind of hear this thing that sounded strangely Beatlesque. You could get that vibe from it. And when I got the album, I was very pleased. It's nice to see it back. I got a copy of the Shankar Family and Friends album. Yeah. Uh, the reissue of that. that. That's great. Yeah, so did I. And then some of the other artists, certainly the Henry McCulloch album came out on Dark Horse, and that's now back available again. I'd like to hear that and see what Henry did. Oh. It, it, it's on Apple Music, and 
Lonnie used to have the whole thing up on. Uh, it, it's still you, there. Oh, believe it, it or not, no, nobody, I can't believe no, it's still. Yeah. No, nobody's <laughs> come and told you to take it down yet, huh? Not until today. <laughs> <laughs> not until this goes I'll out and the, then people will yeah. contact him. Yeah. Yeah, there were people, his people. He was uh, he was the desist. one who could he could play no matter what condition he was in when he was with Wings, right? Right. No, no, that's Jimmy. Uh, that's just yeah. Wings guitarists in general. Yeah, in general. <laughs> Lawrence was not a big drug person, I don't think. No. So, <laughs> other artists included Kenny Burke, Stair Steps, and the friend of Lonnie Pena's ex wife, Jiva. <laughs> we tried to get him on an interview, but uh, he went to what? Joshua Tree. Yeah, Never he, heard from he him again. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously, Uh-oh. he had scheduled it. He said, Yep, I'll be there tomorrow. We called him up the next day. No one answered. No reply. <laughs> a couple days later. Oh, sorry, man. I went up to Joshua Tree and got high. <laughs> so he went to Joshua Tree and then it was Actung Baby. <laughs> sorry. Definitely. February the 7th, Love and Let Die, James Bond, The Beatles, and the British Psyche by John Higgs came out. I've read this book. I know Martin knows of it. it it's actually really a pretty cool book. It, mm. it looks at written in the 1960s through the lens of both the rise of the Beatles and the rise of the James Bond series. And who is John Higgs? An author. He, oh, okay. <laughs> Best you answer know. ever. I think the, the, the thing that convinced me I had a book was reading a thing that Hanif Qureshi wrote um, uh, about the Beatles, which is, which is brilliant. And obviously Hanif Qureshi, good luck, get well, and all that sort of stuff. Sure. Um, he'd, he'd written about when he was at, at school, his music teacher had taught him that the Beatles were a hoax, that there was no way, like, you know, those four lads from Liverpool could produce music that was self-evidently better than people who'd, you know, gone to the right schools and came from the right families. Uh, It was just impossible. So clearly it was like, you know, one of the better spoken people, like Brian Epstein or George (laughs) Martin was sort of of behind it. And he was taught that at school. And Koreshi said this really insightful thing. He says he came to realize that his music teacher had to think that because otherwise it would take too much away. Like his entire worldview, yeah. uh, his sense of identity was structured on the belief that people like him were superior. Yeah. And then along came the Beatles and the whole thing just became a joke, just became absolutely absurd. And you can see the real sort of collapse in, you know, deference to the upper classes over the period of the Beatles, you know, when, when they start, you know, if you look at um, Hard Day's Night, when the, the, the bowler-hatted character uh, comes in and um, he wants the window open and they want it shut and there's, there's four of them and stuff like that. Um, the question of whether a character like that you were supposed to sort of, you know, tug your forelock to was still, at the country at that time, still being debated in the Bond film of that year, Goldfinger, a bowler hat is a weapon, right? It's a thing to be feared. You know, it's a dangerous sort of thing. Um, by the end of the Beatles, the upper classes were a joke. You know, so you get like Monty Python doing the upper class twits and all that sort of thing. The yeah. whole sort of um, glamour around them was just sort of destroyed over that over that that decade. Yeah. Uh, so that, that yeah and. You can't. It would have happened anyway, but with the Beatles as the focus, it, you know, it, it really happened. He obviously had this idea and wrote it up and got somebody to publish it, but it's, it's a pretty good book. It, it, <laughs> That's great. <laughs> <laughs> 
the folks who are fans of Bond and certainly us, it kind of alternates chapter by chapter. Here's what's going on in the Beatles world. Here's what's going on in the Bond world. And then where they intersect. There's lots of interesting things. It's, it's amazing how many people in Hard Day's Night were actually in Bond films. Well, it's the British acting community, and you can understand that. But, I, but I'm kind of looking at it, it's like, well, you know, you can study James Bond, and, and you can study the Beatles. But wow, getting into the whole British psyche, that's, mm. that's pretty impressive. Yeah, it, it's really kind of interesting. He talks about how the Bond franchise was reflective of a previous era when Britannia ruled the world and how the Beatles kind of brought it back full circle and brought back the sense of purpose to the British Empire. All right, on the 22nd of February, our buddy Luca Parazzi, uh, Paul McCartney, Music is Ideas, The Stories Behind the Songs, Volume 1, 1970 to 1989. Luca has done just an amazing amount of work. This is a great book, and it's not just an overlap of hmm. what Alan Cozen did. He has really gone and done as much research as you possibly can on the recordings that Paul did over that period of time. Do, do you know, I would say, Ed, it, I think it's a good thing to have alongside um, the, the Alan Cozen book. Do you know what I mean? I think they work nicely together with each, with each other. So if you want a bit more information on a subject, go to one or the other. I agree. And of course, my story about this is I had ordered the book at the time and Alexa notified me, Paul McCartney is at your door. It's like, <laughs> what? <laughs> and then it's like, oh, okay. They just read the first part of the name of the book when I went outside. It's like, oh. if only that was recorded. <laughs> did you open the door and let him in? Oh, God. <laughs> I, I did open the door. I did open the door, but, and, and I found a box there. Oh. It, was it wasn't your brother Michael then. I, could, yeah, I couldn't help Paul it. Paul and a whole group of people. <laughs> yeah, I brought everybody here for for a for a drink. Just like that party on that thing, yeah. And Paul goes. George's birthday's in a few days, and your birthday's oh. in a couple of weeks. So sure, here we go. <laughs> March of 2023, we hear a story that we're going to learn about much later. The violist Caroline Bookman passes away. That is important because. She played on the Now and Then sessions towards the end of 2022. It is through her that we learned that the sheet music given to all of the musicians was listed as give and take. They were just told, oh, you're working on a Paul McCartney song. Right. She had cancer and she passed in March of 2023, never to learn that she played on the final Beatles record. So this is like the Beatles version of the Blue Harvest story with the Star Wars film then where they just give a fake title. I would bet that there's probably footage of her since they did film those sessions. I don't know if she actually made the video or not. It's awful in a way, if you think about it, because if it, if it came out when it was originally planned in, in say, February, she would, have, she would have, known, she would have found yeah. it out then. It, that's awful. That's one of the sort of side stories of now and then that we got. Yeah. Did Giles direct the orchestra for that? Composer Jerem Leroy. Ben Foster is also a really, really uh, very talented composer and arranger. Mm -hmm. So I'm getting this email from Ben saying, listen, this is very hush-hush, this is very confidential, but um, I'm flying into uh, Los Angeles in five days for this recording session. Um, I've arranged a strings chart uh, for this one song, um, but I would conduct it normally, but I can't because it's happening so quickly that I don't have time to get a work visa to conduct it. So he asked me, would you be willing to, to conduct the session? 
And he said, it's, I can't tell you too much, but it's for an iconic British artist. Who I was recording for wasn't really that important in a way. Um, at a certain point, my job is to conduct, my job is to do a good job uh, you know, during the session. So that's kind of what I was thinking more than anything. Um, I almost had forgotten the question of who it was for when I walked in. And it's only when I saw the security at Capitol um, you know, filtering people in that I, re that I remembered, oh, this is actually a, a, a session for an important artist. Um, it wasn't out of the ordinary because I had recorded at Capitol before, you know, I worked on the Academy Awards ceremony and that's where they would do a lot of the pre-records and rehearsals. And so we would have, you know, uh, artists there. So um, this wasn't completely new to me, but that's when I realized that I didn't know who I was conducting for. Um, I, op I opened the door um, to the, 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 uh, the mixing booth of where the console is. And there's, um, I see three people. One of them is turning their back on me. And then I see Giles Martin, who, had, who I'd known um, from another project, and Ben. And, um, and Ben says, you know, and then the, the man turning his, his back on me turns around. And that's when I realize it's Paul McCartney. What we see in the video is, well, with the exception of the inserted John Lennon, really what <laughs> happened in the film while they were, doing the orchestra bit. I'm fascinated by the subterfuge a little bit because if he was directing it, then the orchestra, I mean, they didn't have to give it a fake title, did they? No. Except they were probably thinking that someone might have heard the demo. Well, that's possible. Although I've listened to it a bunch and I don't know that if you took it by itself that you'd go attach it to that demo. The fact that it's called now and then and then there's Giles Martin involved. Mm. Right. Right. I mean, the tune is close enough. And when we spoke with Darren, Darren was telling us about how they actually went and taught them the song for the Broadway musical. So he said it was close enough that he had to basically forget all of that when he listened to the Beatles recording. Ah. <laughs> it's an interesting story. It's a sad story. But a, the world knows. I mean, had it come out when it would, the world really never would have heard of Caroline Bookman. Right. But they also have on record her story about how they called them up all of a sudden and you know it's like she already had another gig booked and she had to cancel her other gig it's for paul mccartney But I mean, the fact that it's a Paul McCartney session and you had Giles Martin there, you know, someone might have put two and two together and gotten nine or ten. Just to be safe, they just yeah, gave yeah, it a right. different name. They, they just went with a subterfuge. And right. That makes it a, a wonderful collectible. One of these days, as these things start showing up on eBay, that's going to be probably a multi-thousand dollar collectible. Oh, yeah. The, yeah. the give and take sheet music signed by Paul. Right. Later in the month of March... We got the Beatles on the charts, all group and solo albums and singles ranked by popularity by Michael Ventrella, a friend of Kit's. Yep. A little bit like what we do on Toppermost. Uh, we got a couple of those books, the Mark Walgreen book in particular, in the 80s. This is absolutely up to date on the charts, not through now and then, but through just prior to now and then. Ooh, a lot of information there. So we move on to April 
April, which is when we were to first hear of the existence of the Stowe School tape. We did a two-parter on this. This runs a very close second to now and then for my favorite thing of the past year. Yeah, definitely. definitely. That's a significant, very significant find. It's pretty amazing that stuff is just still coming out of the woodwork 60 years later. It's crazy. Yeah. And that was a, a personal belonging, wasn't it? The fella just sort of shoved the tape in a can and put it on the shelf. Right. After he loaned it out to a friend and had the trash men recorded over money. <laughs> <laughs> right. How dare. <laughs> well, you know, we were talking about the fact that people are starting to leave this mortal coil. There'll be a lot of stuff that comes out when people start going through grandma's attic. Oh, look, there's a beetle thing here. Yeah, absolutely. Photographs. I firmly believe that we're going to have probably hundreds of new photographs that come out over the next decade. You're probably right. Do do they have estate sales in England, Marv? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, it's it's a bit close to home at the moment, Lonnie, because yesterday and today in the past week, been uh, clearing out my mum's old apartment. So, Uh, okay, if they have garage sales, estate sales, that would be something that you can check on. You never know what you might find. Well, I mean, people are still finding butcher covers at garage sales these days. It's much, much rare. In the 90s, you would hear about it all, about once a week. You ever hear that story from Jeff Wells, John, that he found a butcher cover at a, at a garage sale? Yes. This was back in the 70s, though. Right. But, uh, yeah. Especially since nowadays everyone thinks, oh, it's got a picture of Paul McCartney on it. It's going to be worth something. Some of them actually are. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah, and we're still waiting for that uh, recording of Carnegie Hall from well, 64 that someone, yeah. you know, is a picture of a young girl. On the a, stage with a film camera. <laughs> a film camera. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it, that exists somewhere. So, yeah, there is a video someone of that out it. there somewhere. I'm waiting but, for Peter Jackson's Hollywood Bowl. I mean, there's already a pretty good spliced together version from the various video that was taken for the newsreels. So there's almost a complete pro shot of that. Yeah. Nice. So at, at this point, we really didn't know what was going to happen to the Stowe School tape. They were still arguing. We got about three minutes of it from Samira on the BBC, and it was just you know just tantalizing. Ooh, when are we going to get it? Also out in the month of April, Dear Beatle People, the story of the Beatles North American Fan Club by your friend and ours, Sarah, Sarah Schmidt. Actually, I had dinner with Sarah not too long ago. She was in town, not promoting her book. She has a day job as a as an education type person. Actually, that was the week that Now and Then came out. We had dinner and uh, we talked about a number of things, including her book. I have never heard of this before. So that's... Yeah, you can... How uh, was the book? Well, it's pretty good. I actually don't have it yet. Sarah, but, Sarah, uh, wink, wink. She'd be glad to send us a PDF if we have her on the show. I flipped through it. She was next to us in Chicago at the Fest for Beatles fan, so I did flip through her oh. book. She also runs the uh, Meet the Beatles for Real page. Yeah, I've followed that for years. So if you're looking for unusual Beatle photos, including one of John Stone's former drummer. Oh, yeah. That's available on that page. Yeah. And they had a better copy than you did. <laughs> John Ford made the copy said, do you know about this? I did a Google search. Oh, okay, here it is, by the way, and here's a better copy of yeah, it. Yeah, I think I copied that from something. <laughs> I just find that kind of amusing. Yeah. In May, Lonnie and I went down to a local theater because the Maypang film 
was screening. Yeah, and, and there were a few people there. <laughs> Emphasis on the few. <laughs> few people there. It never came here. Okay. Never went to Tyler? No. <laughs> it's finally available on both streaming and video if you want to actually see it. Yeah. When I was on vacation recently, I uh, picked up a copy on Blu-ray. And it comes with a download as well. Any movies, I think that's what it's called. Okay. But it has no special features on it, which is a real no, shame. No, it doesn't. Yeah, unfortunately it doesn't. You would have thought there'd be loads of extra footage to be able to put out there. The film has been in existence for at least three years. They first screened it on a one-time only streaming thing about three years ago. Not much to say about it. It's good enough, but as everybody knows, I'm not the biggest Mave Hang fan. There's some really good information in there and there's some sort of muddled stories it's interesting to think about the film in relation to the tony king book as i said i told her ed said hi when i met her in october <laughs> <laughs> i'm sure she said who <laughs> ed who oh that guy that doesn't like me <laughs> actually i don't know if she knows that i don't care for her or not but from all accounts she's a very nice person and she yep. is certainly making Friends and fans as she goes around the country. That you have no reason to dislike her, Ed. <laughs> <laughs> She's a nice girl. She's a nice New York chick. I'm sure she is. <laughs> but as Lonnie noted, every time you see someone holding up one of those posters with May Payne next to them, they paid $50 for that privilege. Yeah, that wasn't a freebie. <laughs> it's 20 without a poster. Oh, you can take a picture with May for 20 without a poster. Okay. Yeah. $10 for, for you at a Blank wall. Yeah. <laughs> it's like these conventions where you got to pay nearly 200 pounds to be photographed with William Shatner. You want to be photographed with William Shatner. People will recognize William Shatner. Anyone who's outside of the Beatle world, Oh, who's that old lady with purple hair? <laughs> and that's not meant as a dig. That is seriously not meant as a dig. Uh, May also got on the Sex in the City sequel as a party guest. And it's like, oh, well, that's nice, I guess. She's the backing singer on um, Walls and Bridges. She's the one who's whispering sweet nothings into John's ear on Number right. 9 Dream. She's the one who was uh, kissing Tony Visconti by the Berlin Wall that gets mentioned in the David Bowie song Heroes as well. I really want a book about her relationship with Tony. Yep. I would find that interesting. The, the whole Mary Hopkins, Tony Visconti, May Payne love triangle is as much, if not more, interesting to me than her time with John and Yoko. Agreed. So, I'd love to hear some of her stories of sessions and things like that around that sort of period. Probably more so than the John Lennon Dirty Weekend thing or whatever it's called, Lost Weekend. All right. And then in May, uh, Chaz Newby would pass away. Chaz Newby, the first left-handed bassist in the Beatles. I knew his lifestyle would catch up with him. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm on uh, vacation from college, right? I'm back in Liverpool. Uh, I got a call from Pete Best to get down to the Casbah Club. So I get down there, and of course, the guys are back from Germany. 
and there's four of them. Stuart has stayed in Hamburg with Astrid, and Pete has obviously organised it, and he says to these guys, John, Paul, George, you know, he'll do it. I'll do what, right? So they find me. I don't even own a bass guitar at the time, right? So they find me a bass guitar, borrow it from a good friend of mine, uh, leather jacket, and we, from memory, we had about half an hour just going through the songs that they played, the songs that I used to play with Pete when we were in the Blackjack Band. Uh, it was all the classic rock and roll from the middle of the 1950s, you know? You know Chuck Berry, uh, Elvis, uh, Buddy Holly, uh, Jerry Lewis, Little Richard, all that stuff. And so then, um, on I think the 17th of December, we played at the Casbah Club. Right now, the Casbah Club was underneath the house. It was the cellars, a large detached house in West Derby in Liverpool. Um, and everybody knew who we were because they'd seen us before play at different. You know, Pete and I had played in a band called Blackjacks. Uh, obviously, John, Paul, George had played in a band called the Quarrymen, and now they are called the Beatles. Right, so that everybody's. What's going on here? You know, we know these guys. Uh, and Neil, uh, Neil Aspinall had put up a poster on the outside, direct from Hamburg, the fabulous Beatles. And the, 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 the punters who are members, this is a private members club, right? So the punters, what's this direct from Hamburg crap? You know, these we know these guys. Yeah. But of course, when it started, then they knew, because these blokes, these are the four guys, Pete, John, Paul, George, with Stuart. They, you know, in parenthesis, they'd done their 10,000 hours. You know, they could play. And it was so tight, it was just knockout. So that completely floored those people. Then we did a, a gig in a ballroom on the other side of the river. Uh, I don't remember too much about it, except George told me, he said, if you see any trouble start on the floor, because it's on a stage, it's a ball, pick your amp up and let's get out quick, you know. Right, fine. But nothing happened. It, you know, it, but the third gig, that was the one at Litherland Town Hall. Stu finally lent Paul his bass, or Paul had finally learned enough that he was ready to go on stage with it, and, and Chaz was going back to college anyway, because they had actually invited him to go back to Hamburg with him. Wow. He was 81 when he passed away. On the 15th of May, we got the Steve Mateo book, and actually the Beatles on films. This is another one. It's not just, here's Hard Day's Night, here's Help, here's Magical Mystery Tour, here's Let It Be. He goes into some detail about the production a little bit more than we've ever had before. Oh, that might be interesting. I spoke to Steve. I mean, we we could actually have him on at some point if we wanted to do that. Well, if it's up to the level of his other writing, then it's going to be really good because, I mean, what I've read of his before is fantastic. Yeah, previously he'd written The Guide to Let It Be. He's a good guy. I met him and spoke with him at the fest for a good little while. A recommended book, then. There are a fair number of Beatle books, and most of what's in this list are the ones that are a bit more recommended, at least by me. He also duplicates some of the information from the Bond book, but if you also want to read about Bond, I would say pick up the Bond book first. If you have no interest in Bond, pick up Steve Mateo's book first. 
Yeah. From May to June was Ringo's first set of 19 shows for the year. And he was not playing anywhere in Texas. This was all largely West Coast. Did you travel for any of these, Ed? As you know, if you listen to the show, I saw Ringo in San Francisco at the Masonic Hall. I saw this set of the All-Stars. It is a really good show, and it's hard to believe that Ringo is 83. He looks tremendous, and he has so much energy up there on stage. He's got more energy than I have at 53. (laughs) (laughs) And he looks really good. The old trope about he looks better than Jason does. Because we see all these photos of him hanging out with Jason, and it's like, well, which one's the father and which one's the son? Wow. Well, it helps that Rico does his hair. (laughs) This is true. So, (laughs) well, I left you in the yellow submarine, and now I'm going to take you to an octopus's garden. This was a great show, 
And we've already learned that Ringo is doing more in 2024. So he's going out there at age 84 as well. Uh, He's doing two shows in Mexico City. He's doing a short residency, uh, like six or seven dates in Vegas. And there are another three or four shows which have yet to be announced. That's incredible. Yeah. And I would actually guess Ringo will probably do a fall tour as well. He's been doing a set in the early spring and then a set in the early fall. That's the next episode, Ed. Okay. (laughs) There you go. (laughs) The Ringo schedule is coming up. What to look forward to. It's largely the same all-star band show we've had for the last couple of years, you know, the post Todd Rundgren version, but it is what it is. And while I would really have liked Ringo to bring up at least one of his songs off of these EPs. Oh, well, he doesn't want to do it. Let him play what he wants to play. It's still a good, fun show. Well, he's really not playing those shows to promote his records. How many songs does he sing in a in a night? Oh, he sings a good 13 or 14 songs. Do you think it's that much? It's pretty much half the set.
by Lennon, McCartney, and Starkey. And there was a story about it because, you know, he wrote the song, and I'm looking at the credits, Lennon, McCartney, Starkey. And uh, I thought, something inside me said, those credits would look so much better the other way. <laughs> you know, I was a lot younger, you think a lot of things on the stage. So I went over to my two friends, said this, and they said, sod off. So it stayed the way the one is. It's called What Goes On. Octopus's Garden and Yellow Submarine and Photograph and it's more or less everything you would expect Ringo to be doing if you're a casual fan. Right. What goes on? So, you know, he does more or less all of the Ringo Beatles songs and then a select number of hits from beyond that era. He's still doing I'm the Greatest. Wow. Because so. he is. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> but he, he never covers Blind Man, probably, or... No, no, we don't, get, we don't get Blind Man. He doesn't do 6 o'clock. It would be nice if he would he swap could. out one song or two. He may, but I'm doubting it since he is doing a residency. He's doing half a dozen shows over the course of two, three weeks. Maybe mm. he'll swap out a song or two there, but I kind of doubt yeah. it. Yeah, he doesn't close the show with Good Night. No, he does no. not. It's Yellow Submarine into Give Peace a Chance. Yeah. Uh, does he do your 16? He has fully dropped your 16 okay. from the set. Okay. Yeah. It's not coming back. <laughs> no. It was a hit. It was a hit. And that's our fault. 
<laughs> yeah, that that one I think stands as our fault. Didn't we talk about that when we were talking about the Ringo show? That maybe there's some way that Ringo could finesse it. <laughs> the suggestion was we're sixteen. <laughs> You're 60, you're beautiful. So yeah, that, that, was, that was Martin's other suggestion. <laughs> that, yes, that, that, that was my was, suggestion. Yeah. That actually would be great. Yeah, I love that. <laughs> Everybody could have a good laugh, and and he'd still do the song. There well, you go. And, and people still don't get, I'm only 82. <laughs> you got to be really clued in to get that and get the laugh. He, he does appreciate the laugh when he gets it. Right. <laughs> Just after that, we move on to June, and we discover that the Stowe School tape is being donated to the British Library. So the deal was that immediately after that, within like two days of it being donated, they had it available for listening if you're in the UK. And Martin never went to the British Library to go and listen to it? No, they wouldn't give me time off work. (laughs) at this point in time it was available to uh, whoever could get access to the british library and had a british library card and that's all you needed you could could go in and they would give you a pair of headphones and you can plug in and tune in and listen to the hour have your recorder ready to go (laughs) well it, it explains the bootlegs it took a little while but you obviously can't bring in your phone and hook it up into the device you there was no obvious way to duplicate it but well somebody found a way so a tape was leaked we now know the tape was leaked within two weeks of the time it went up in the british library yeah well you're gonna get you're listening to it through headphones at the library right yeah exactly no, and, that, and so that can be hacked pretty easily it wasn't like they just put the headphones onto a recorder and recorded it. What we think now is that someone had an, an induction microphone. Couldn't you just unplug the, the, the headphones and put a uh, headphone connector in and and connect that to your device? I think it only worked through the headphones that they gave you. It's not like you could oh, right. take your own headphones. So it's a set of cans then, yeah. As I say, what we think based upon the bootleg we did eventually get was that someone had an an induction microphone, which lets you then take the audio from the headphones and then turn that back into a signal you can record. You know suspiciously a lot about how this went down, Ed. I've never been to the UK. (laughs) And you would have meant to, right? (laughs) Okay. Better move on, Ed. (laughs) All right. June the 13th, we got McCartney's book, 1964, The eyes of the storm and paul did a number of promotional things he did two full hour-long uh youtube broadcasts well one with conan o'brien here in the states and one um with the uh, really in conjunction with the show which also went out at the same time with the with the british uh, museum yep stanley tucci yep yep so so really good stuff both of those shows are still available really good shows as well the show would stay in the UK until just recently, and it has now made its way over to the States. And we'll talk about that next time as well. Ooh. Next time, like in 2024? Well, ne- we've already decided next week we're doing uh, our look into what we hope want for 2024. So. I see. So next week we're, we're talking 2024. Gotcha. New, new, gotcha. new EP from Ringo, please. <laughs> We know we're getting one. We may be getting two in the next year. The country EP is already scheduled. It's going to be out early in the spring. 
Anything anybody wants to say about any of the photos? Uh, the couple that I got to mention, I got to mention George with the two hats. <laughs> yeah, that was a good yeah. one. There's a couple of backstage photos, which are just really tremendous stuff uh, because it shows you the world that the Beatles were operating in. You know, backstage, it was very much 1900s. The, the, they were still running in backstages that look like something from Music Hall. The crowd at the airport, that's the one that gets me. I think that's incredible, that photograph. And everyone's favorite, there's a girl with a chimpanzee in Miami. <laughs> Only in Miami, right? Yeah, that's one of those Florida stories. It sounded like a country song. There's a girl with a chimpanzee in Miami. And he never knew why, but he just sort of looked at it and said, wait a minute, that's a chimpanzee. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Which one of us is going to write that song then? (laughs) (laughs) There's two of them that Paul really likes. The other one is not quite so amusing because they were stopped next to a cop and the cop had his sidearm there and paul just took a quick snap of the sidearm and it's yeah that was pretty cool yeah i like the photograph with lennon just i guess it was in the back seat of a limo wherever he had his thick frames on and just innocent you know yeah still looks cool as hell yeah yeah if you haven't picked it up pick up the book it is a great book and you learn so much about really what it was like in the eye of the hurricane as we've been told all these years I still think it needs a follow-up for the next, say, eight months of photographs. Yeah, we don't know how many more photographs Paul has. I, I agree. I would like to see a follow-up come on. Also in the month of June, Lonnie and I got to talk to Nashville Country Music Hall of Fame songwriter Kent Blazy, who had an album out called From the Beatles to the Bluebird Cafe. That was a really fun conversation. Yeah, Kent was a really nice guy. He was pretty laid back and big Beatle fan. You know, can't yeah. believe this is June. That was six months ago. That was oh. now six months ago. Oh my yeah. Gosh. Wow. So time flies. <laughs> is available you can stream it you can listen to it on youtube you can buy it if you really want to support kent blazy kent blazy is one of garth brooks's big co-writers he co-wrote one of garth brooks's biggest hits he was really interesting and we got some real nice insight into the business of stardom and superstardom because he's kind of been inside of the garth brooks circle Wow. June the 26th, WLS Chicago disc jockey Dick Biondi passed away. Dick Biondi was almost certainly the first one to ever play the Beatles in the United States on WLS Chicago. And he had enough pull that he actually got it onto the WLS charts that early, February, March of 1963. 63. Oh, this wow. was Please Please Me? This was Please Please Me, yeah. yeah. And Dick Biondi would also, over the course of the year, move to Los Angeles. And when For Me to You was bubbling under on the national charts, on the Billboard charts, it was almost entirely because Dick Biondi was playing For Me to You on the air and got it 
at least kind of high in the charts in Los Angeles. Wow. Okay. That's a big wow. market. It is. Even yeah. back then. Yeah. And because of Dick Biondi doing that, it was heard in a number of other places around the country, including right here on KNUZ. Kilt was more top 10. KNUZ actually played From Me to You, and it actually got into the 30s on their chart at the time. And, and so, yeah, Dick Biondi gets most, if not all, of the credit for that happening. All right, so that is part one of our look back at 2023. We will be back soon with the rest of 2023 and our look into the future in 2024. Take care. Be safe, folks. Subscribe to When They Was Fab on iTunes, Podbean, Stitcher, or wherever finer podcasts are found. Please join our Facebook group, and we could be reached at When They Was Fab and on Gmail. The opening theme was written, produced, and recorded by Jay Young Kim, Beaster Famine Studios, San Francisco, California. Everybody gonna dance tonight Everybody gonna feel
Paul McCartney does tonight. Well, I have had word from televisions upstairs that they were dancing all over the top of the BBC and then word came through that in fact we have to pause momentarily because it is that moment. Wherever you are in the world watching this broadcast, time is now slipping from the end of this year and going to the next. In fact, is that it? We have a cue. We have 10 seconds left of this old year. Make the most of it. Together. 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Yeah! Happy New Year! Happy New Year! Free. I tell you one thing. There's sickness going on and there's some good people doing work in hospitals but they got no bread to do it on. Not only are they working in a miserable condition with sick people but they're, they're scraping the barrel for funds to keep going. Turned up nice again.